0: You can turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. We're going to be covering verses 7 to 11 this morning. I titled this morning's message, The Test of Love. As I began this letter of John, I started it out on the question of what is a Christian? You would think that that should not be a big question within. A lot of Christian circles, but but it is. What is a Christian? How do we define really what a Christian is? It's a follower of Christ, but there are so many that claim to be followers of Christ. I also talked about how we can know we're saved. I think that's also a, a big question that Everyone wants to know, and and we need to make sure that we know what the biblical answer is to that. How can a person know that they're saved? How can a person uh, have that confidence that when they die, they're going to go to be with the Lord? I I think it's an important question that we all need to answer. I use the word, I believe when we started out, it's the word earmark. Earmark. You've heard that word before. Uh, the earmark. Or we might say the earmark. What is the earmark of a Christian? If well, I looked up that definition of an earmark, and it's defined as a characteristic or an identifying feature. It's, it's also within the description of that, it was used to mark an animal's ear. I'm not calling you animals, but it was to mark an animal's ear so that it identified that particular animal and its owner. It, was, it spoke of identity and ownership. And so what is the earmark or the earmarks of a real Christian? That's what we're uh, hoping to accomplish as we go through this letter. There's lots of truths, but I think the central point of John's message has to do with those in that day that were saying they were Christians, but their lives were not lining up with what a Christian was or should be. John started this letter by making a proclamation of who Christ is he wrote we have heard <clears throat> excuse me we have heard him we have seen him we have looked upon him and our hands have handled concerning the word of life this was a proclamation of the apostles in the early church we saw him we, he talked with us john In these opening verses, he makes the message of our Christian faith very clear. Uh, These are really the foundational truths of what we believe. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the Word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Very clear. Very important truths. As a matter of fact, I shared that our Christian faith either stands or falls based upon these truths. There are some that reject these things. That Jesus is God in flesh. That Jesus is the only way to get to heaven. For the Christian... These are truths that we hold to without compromise. These, if we could say, are the non-negotiables of our faith. Jesus Christ, God in flesh, coming to this world to pay the penalty on that cross for our sin. Those are non-negotiables. That He rose from the dead. That He's alive today. That's the Gospel message. But John also tells us that belief in these truths, that it's also the basis for our Christian fellowship. And it's first fellowship this way with God, but it's also fellowship at this level. As a matter of fact, if you were sitting down to partake of that communion table this morning with somebody that did not know Christ, you'd feel like something doesn't seem right. You knew they were an unbeliever. And they're partaking of communion with you. You think, man, that's that's just... But when we're corporately as a body of Christ and those who know Christ are partaking of this, you're having this fellowship with one another. This like-mindedness that is centered around even this table of remembrance that we did this morning. It's that word koinonia, the Greek word, which is also translated communion. So communion and fellowship in the Bible come from the same Greek word, and it speaks about having that which is in common. It's what we—it's the body of Christ and that unity of belief, sharing that which is in common with one another. We can find three things in these first four verses that are characteristic of every true Christian, and I have to emphasize that every true Christian, if you have come to know Jesus, who is eternal life, then you can have fellowship with God and you can have fellowship with one another. But you also, as John brings out in this first chapter, you can have joy, unspeakable joy, joy that the world doesn't have. You see, joy is not just a big grin on your face. Joy is able to go through trials and difficulties, but have confidence and peace inside that, you know what, God's in control. And and you can't rob me of my joy that I have in the Lord. Paul wrote to the Colossians in chapter 1, verse 12. He says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into his king, into the kingdom of, of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. 1 Peter 2.9, Peter wrote that God has called you out of darkness Into his marvelous light. Wow, look what God has really done. Called you out of what you once were, out of darkness, into his marvelous light. We saw, though, in verse 8 of chapter 1, where John warned about a self deception. We'll call it false professions. You see, there are many today that have professed with their mouth, Jesus. But they say they're Christians. As a matter of fact, if you look at the polls, the polls which haven't changed much through the years, 77% of the people that live in the United States say they're a Christian. In North Carolina, by the way, North Carolina, out of the top 10 religious states, In the United States, North Carolina made number 8 out of that 10. 84% of North Carolinians say they're Christian. Now, I've only lived here going on 7 years. I'm learning the atmosphere and the spiritual climate. And I don't know that I'm just rubbing shoulders with 84%. Brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, I, I think that that number is probably... Not that high. God only knows how many are true believers. But you see, it's one thing to say we are, and it's another thing to really be a believer, a real true Christian. John says that if you say that you have no sin, you're deceiving yourself. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say... That we have not sinned, we make God a liar in His Word as on is. Not his. John is right to the point and very clear. I also shared with you that key verse. Do you remember what it was? First John five thirteen. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And that you may continue to believe on the name of the Son of God. Wow, you can know? Has anyone ever questioned you on that? Uh, How do you know? How can you know for sure? And I would say that if you're a child of God, and you're truly a child of God, I don't think that I could ever come up to you and talk you out of it. I don't think as a matter of fact, if you really, if you know, you know that you know that you know, no one's gonna talk you out of it. You just know that your life has changed and that you're this child of God and you have this strong confidence. The apostle Paul, in many of the passages that he wrote throughout the New Testament, he speaks of eternal life as something that's going to be a future experience. You know, you're you're looking forward to eternal life in eternity. But John speaks of eternal life in in, in this letter as a present possession in this life. In other words, that we experience eternal life the day you give your life to Jesus Christ. John wrote in his Gospel in chapter 17, verse 3, and this is eternal life that you may know, that, that they may know You, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom You have sent. And so John says that eternal life is knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Present possession. And here and now. He also wrote in chapter 5, verse 24, he says, Most assuredly I say to you, He who hears My word and believes in Him who sent Me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Present possession. God already sees us seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus if you're truly a child of God. In other words, it's already a done deal. You have eternal life here and now. John also gave us some words of encouragement in verses uh, 1 and 2 uh, of chapter 2. He says, My little children, these are things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And He Himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. John... And I'm glad he put these verses here. Because just prior to that when he says the person that says that you have not sinned or that you have no sin. And then we look at our lives at times as Christians and we we see how imperfect we are. How we still fall short. How we're unable to obtain perfection. Even though the Lord has forgiven us, we, we, we are unable to obtain. And... John seems to be implying here that you're going to sin. That you will fail. That you will never be able to obtain some type of perfection as a believer in this life. He says, I write to you so that you may not sin. That's our goal. And if anyone sins, implying that we probably will, and I would say we will. We have an advocate. We have a lawyer, we could say, with the Father. And what does he, who does He say that lawyer is? It's Jesus Christ the righteous. I'm glad those verses are there. We took our first test in chapter 2, verse 3-6. to six. I called it the test of obedience. Look at verse 3. Now by this we know that we know Him. How? If we keep His commandments. How do I know that I'm a believer? Well, there's a good chance that if you have conviction of sin when you do wrong, if you have a new attitude and heart towards the Word of God, that you actually want to, you're desirous to follow the Word of God, like you didn't before. Remember the days before the Lord, before you gave your life to Christ, you could care less what God's Word said. You weren't trying to follow it or live up to it. And then you all of a sudden you give your life to the Lord, and all of a sudden you feel this conviction at times when you, when you fail, and and all of a sudden now I care what God's Word. Says and what I should do and how I should live, John says that's a good indicator that you're a child of God. As a matter of fact, if there is no desire for that, I would say we could rightfully question whether or not we're a child of God or not. Verse 4 tells us, He who says that I know Him You could underline those words. The person that says they're a Christian, the person that says that I know God and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, and that's the commandments, I believe it's the whole counsel of God's word, but whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. And then he says, and by this we know that we're in him. That's assurance. Look at verse 6. He who says he abides in him, that him is Jesus, ought himself also to walk just as Jesus walked. It's a good sign. Did you pass that test if you were here on that Sunday? Do you pass that test this morning? A desire to be obedient to the Word of God. That's John's first test. We're going to look at another test this morning now, though. This test actually, I think, is probably the the biggest test that we're going to find in this letter. It's the test of love. Remember, I shared in the beginning that (coughs) this letter is about self-examination. It's not about others... Examination, but self-examination. You see, we need to, to look at ourselves and look at our own hearts and where we stand before the Lord. Don't try to figure out who else is not a Christian. Whatever. Just look at your own heart. But it's also important for us to know that it's not wrong or you should not be afraid of doing self-examination. There's nothing wrong with that. As a matter of fact, it's biblical for you to examine yourself. But what do we examine ourselves with? We examine ourselves in light of the Word of God. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 13.5, he says, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. And then he says these words, test yourselves Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you asking a question unless indeed you are disqualified? It's okay to do self-examination. We just shouldn't be judging the, the end of somebody else. That's God's job. But we can examine ourselves. We can test ourselves and we do that. We hold ourselves up against the word of God. That's how we judge it. No one is going to want to stand before God someday and find out they got it wrong. I don't think that any one of us here, I mean, would really enjoy standing before the Lord someday after all of your labors and efforts in the name of religion and you found out, you know what? It it wasn't right. I, I didn't do what God required. Jesus warned about this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. He says, Not everyone who says to Me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of My Father in heaven. There it is, that obedience. Many will say to Me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in Your name and cast out demons in Your name and done many wonders in Your name? And Jesus' response to those people will be, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I mean, that just sounds like the picture of of a Christian there prophesying is it, casting out demons, doing wonderful work. Do you know how many religions and people in the professing, that 84%, that 77%, that do wonderful acts of kindness in the name of religion? But there is that possibility and probability that there will be many that think they're all right, but Jesus said they were They're not. I never knew you. It's probably the, some of the most solemn words that we could find in the Bible. I never knew you. It didn't say, I, you know, it came in time I, I started not knowing you anymore. I never knew you. Though you thought we knew each other. Are you ready for the second test? Look at your Bibles. Verse 7. Brethren... Speaking to Christians, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in Him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away, and the true light, which I believe is Jesus Christ, is already shining. He who says, here it is, verse 9, he who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. The test of love. This is a test that's hard for us to manufacture. As a matter of fact, it's impossible for you to manufacture this in the name of religion. There's lots of people in the world that love people. Have a love for mankind. Do acts of kindness. But we're talking about a kind of love that is supernatural. One that is is—it's not just in word, it's in action. You see, that's the kind of supernatural love that we see demonstrated here. It's what John's talking about. It's, it's, it's ourselves testing ourselves against the Word of God. In verse 7, John says, an old commandment which you have had from the beginning, is what he's telling those that are reading this. Letter. This old commandment that he's speaking of here is speaking about the law of love. This law of love takes us all the way back in the Old Testament to Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, where God told Moses to speak to the people and tell them, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You see, the concept of love in the Old Testament, it's the same love that God has for mankind there as He has in the New Testament. But this whole old command of love, it was one that people under the Levitical law were commanded to do. Before Jesus Christ ever came into this world, the law of love was already in force. God had already commanded it, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But the new law of love, which is really not new, but it's really love expanded. It's love expanded in the New Testament. This happened after Jesus Christ came into this world. Verse 8. Again, a new commandment I write to you. Which thing is true? It's in Him. It's capitalized, isn't it? It's in Him and it's in you. Do you see that? This, this love that God has given to us. In Matthew 22.34. Jesus was asked the question by a scribe one day, a Pharisee, who was looking to test Jesus. He said to, to Jesus, he says, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus answered him by quoting the Shema, which was the, the great Jewish confession of faith. Shema means here. And this is what Jesus said to this this religious man, this Pharisee. He quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. You shall love the Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the great commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says this. On these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. Just those two. Remember in John 13, when Jesus was in the upper room and He washed His disciples' feet that evening before He was going to go to the cross. He said this to His disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another... By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is something that can't be manufactured. Jesus showed by example as he washed, knelt down and washed his disciples' feet. He showed them by his life, those three years of walking with him, he showed them in, in the washing of their feet, and the laying aside of his garments, and, and and humbling himself before them. He showed them as he went to the cross, and he hung there, and they saw the sacrificial lamb hanging there and dying on the cross for the sins of the world. It was demonstrated in action. Jesus said these words to him to them that people will know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. What would be the opposite of that? How about a Christian that really had... a uh, professing Christian that had no love coming forth? How about a church? Man, no love in that place. There's nothing... You know I mean? What, what example do we lay out before this world? Would, would people know just on this alone that you're a child of God, that you're a deci- that, that they would go, you know what, I know a lot of Christians. I know a lot of them. And I've never found a Christian like you, how you're living. That you that you love me even when I bash you, even when I say these things against you, even when I act like I do again. This can sometimes be family members. And you continue to love me, you continue to reach out to me. It's evident that there's something about you that's different than the other Christians that I know. You see, the other they go to church just like you do. They do all the same things that you do. But I've never experienced somebody that unconditionally loved me the way you do. That's a great testimony of our Lord and Him placing that love within your heart. Loving God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and loving your neighbor as yourself. Just think of that. Jesus says if you could just do these two things, you'll fulfill everything else in the Bible. You mean just those two? Loving God with all my heart, soul, and mind, and loving my neighbor as myself. If I could just do those two, that's all. It's not even the ten. Just do the two and you'll fulfill all the law and the prophets. All of it. You have to sit and ponder how that gets worked out. Loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind. You're going to always do the right thing. Loving your neighbor as yourself. I mean, it it just works out on those two things. I believe that one of the greatest evidences that a person is a Christian... Is God's supernatural love coming forth out of their life? I have to put in there supernatural love because this world has a lot of different kinds of love that it wants to get. There's even religious groups out there that have a, what they would call love. Do you think that the Jehovah's Witnesses would tell you that they have no love for you? But is it a supernatural love that's been placed in their hearts by the Holy Spirit? No. Do the Mormons? You know, no, they don't. So, what makes the difference between a Christian and somebody that's just religious? It's not just about obedience to the things of God, it's about the love of God that we have in our heart. John brings this out very clearly. Paul also said in Romans 5:5 5, 5, he says that the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit which was given to us. When did that happen? When was the holy when did the love of God get poured out in your heart? It was the day you believed. The day you gave your life to Christ, he poured out In your heart, His love by His Holy Spirit. The day you believed. That's when you possessed it. A supernatural love. Lots of people try to mimic it. They'll mimic it when they come to your door. It's not the same. They'll mimic it in a lot of churches. Religious people will mimic it. To go and serve and help humanitarian aid and do things all over the world. The love for mankind. They'll mimic it and it'll look kind of similar, but it's not the same. You see, the only, only way that supernatural love gets placed in your heart is when you're born again and God comes in by His Spirit and He pours out that love in your heart by His Holy Spirit. It's the only way it gets there. I wonder how many of you got married before you knew Christ. And then both of you got saved and now you're loving each other in a different way. There's a good way to see the difference. Unconditional, sacrificial love. A love that just doesn't need anything. It just gives. If you want to read about what that love is, and I know most of you, if not all of you, have you have to go to the love chapter of the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13. It it, it describes this love. And, And Paul says what it's not also. He says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but I have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Love does not, is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely. Love does not seek its own. Love is not provoked. Love thinks no evil. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love never fails. There's the description of this kind of love that Christ had for us as He gave it all up for you and I. That's the love that has been placed in your heart by the Holy Spirit. It's a good indicator to you and I if we're a child of God. Am I loving people differently than when I, before I knew Christ? Am I loving people differently now that I know Christ? Paul wrote in Galatians 5.14, you know about the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit, we're told, is what? Number one, first thing, is what? Love. Eight other things come out of that word love. Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is love. You know what's the next one that comes out of that? Joy. Joy comes out of love. Peace comes out of love. Love. Long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All all of those other eight things come out of that one word love. It's the fruit of God's Spirit in you. And and, and that's what separates a professing Christian and somebody that really knows Christ. John has to be very clear and specific about this. Because the Gnostics and all those people, just like today, what's a Christian? Well, let's define it. Let's start with the test of obedience. And then we'll go to the test of love. And then we're going to see in a, in a week or two here, we're going to see the, another test, the test of truth. If you can pass all three of those, there's a good chance you're a believer Paul wrote in Romans 5.8 that God demonstrated His own love towards us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. You see, you see this unconditional... You see, He didn't put all these things on us like we so often do. He just says, I simply love you in spite of who you are. And I love you to the point, I, I, I'll go to the cross so that you might live. If we were to look ahead to 1 John 3.16, John's going to go on two other times as we go through these five chapters, and he's going to take this test, and he says, I'm going to take this test of love that I'm giving you in chapter 2, and I'm going to reiterate it in very practical ways two more times as we go through this letter. We're, going to, we're not done with love yet. But John says in 1 John 3.16, By this we know love. Because He, Jesus, laid down His life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. There is the supreme example of love. There is the one verse that tells us how you can wrap your head around the whole thought of how great is God's love. I can't put it into words. Somebody just asked me. And I, and I can't even describe it. It's hard for me to even... Really, I can't even speak of it, really. But here's what I can do. I can look to the cross. And when you look to the cross and you see Jesus Christ as we partook of communion... It's that demonstration. It's the way we can wrap our head around it. He did it sacrificially. He did it for us, and we were undeserving while we were yet sinners. And He laid it all out. And then He says, That same love that I poured out into your heart by the Holy Spirit is the same love that I'm calling you to lay down your life for your brethren. Whatever that means to you and to me. Verse nine says that he who says that he is in the light. Let me put it this way: the person that says they're a Christian, or the person that says they're walking in the light, that they know God, but hates his brother, John says is in darkness until now. In other, they don't go hand in hand. You can't say you're a believer, but then your life is dominated by hatred towards your brother. They don't go hand in hand. John says that's not characteristic of a Christian. Verse 10, He who loves his brother abides in the light. You see the contrast? And there is no cause for stumbling in him. Again, In verse 11, he says it again. But he who hates his brother is in darkness. He says that he's in darkness, but look what else it says. And he walks in darkness. And he does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. This walking in the light, this... Abiding in Christ. You see, when you came into a relationship with Jesus Christ, He pulled you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You're no longer in darkness anymore. And so the person that says that he's in the light but hates his brother, it's inconsistent. It's a good indicator. Contrasting light to darkness, hate and love. Those are contrasts. From verses 9 to 11, he gives us two negative statements and he gives us two positive statements. Verse 9 the person who says that he is in the light or that he's a Christian but hates his brother is really in darkness. Verse 10. The person who loves his brother with this supernatural love is a person who is abiding in the light. Verse 10. The person who is in the light or walking in the light will have no cause for stumbling in him. You see, light guides us, doesn't it? it? It directs us. There's no cause for stumbling in that person. Verse 11. But in contrast, the person who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and he does not know where he's going because darkness has blinded his eyes. You see the difference? John, in this test of love, and and again, he's going to bring it out two more times in this letter but he's going to bring it out in a very practical way as we go through it. He's going to show that love coming forth out of the life of a a, a Christian is, I believe, the number one earmark of a believer that you truly are. Because, you see, I can mimic good deeds... And no one would ever know. I could go out against the best of the cults out there and I could do all the things that they do and I could go out and do a lot of wonderful acts of kindness and no one would ever know and I could do it in the name of I'm a Christian. But behind doors, closed doors, and behind, I'm not that same person. But everybody else would think I am. It's real important that we do examine ourselves in light of God's word. That we do make sure that we are we've done everything what God says I need to do to be saved. I'll make it real simple. To be saved simply means to you need to admit that you're a sinner. As soon as you can admit that you're a sinner then you realize you have a need of a savior. And when you have a need of a Savior and you look to Jesus Christ as your only hope of salvation, He's your only Savior, and you call upon Him to save you, He says, I'll give you eternal life just simply based on that. And I ask You to come into my heart and make me born again by Your Holy Spirit and pour Your Holy Spirit into me It's that simple to be a believer. I knew of a lady that served in our church back in California. They'd been, her and her husband, a part of the church for five years. They served in a lot of different capacities. Five years into it, she was sitting there on a Sunday morning, and our pastor gave an altar call. And this woman went forward to receive Christ. She actually came to a conviction that for all of these years and all of her service, she thought she was born again. She thought she knew the Lord. And she had this conviction. I don't know that I've ever in my life ever prayed to receive Christ into my heart. I don't know that I really am saved. I've done all of these things. I've served. I've taught your Sunday school here. And she didn't even, couldn't even, didn't know that she was saved. That big of a question needs to be answered with assurance. Assurance, not maybe. I hope I am but with confidence. I know where I'm going when I die. I'll close with this verse. 1 Thessalonians 3.12 The Apostle Paul wrote to the believers there at Thessalonica and he says this concerning love. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love towards one another and to all just as we do to you, so that He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of His saints. Increase and abound in love towards one another. In other words, you'll never exhaust it, brothers and sisters. You, might, you will never be able to say, Yeah, I, I, I love just like Jesus loves. This is an ongoing progressive thing in our life. God, help me to lay down my life for my brethren in greater ways than I. You see the practicality? This is not just words, it's action. that He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ for all of His saints. We hope you have enjoyed today's study. For more information on teachings, events, worship times, and location, please visit our website, ccfwinstonsalem.com. From Pastor Greg and all of us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship, thank you for listening and being part of our study through God's Word.